you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verse 12 this morning, which is all about putting on the virtue and the character of Jesus Christ. And the two virtues that we're going to be looking at this morning, the two spiritual pieces of clothing that we are to put on as believers, have really fallen on hard times in our world. See, we live in a world where we view pride and self-exaltation as a virtue. We want our leaders and celebrities and CEOs to declare themselves as the greatest of all time. We think it's admirable when someone justifies their actions with statements like, I did what was necessary to get ahead, to put yourself above other people. And then to be really successful at that earns applause, earns likes, earns votes, and earns views in our world. So if you're wanting to live for the praise of this world, you already know the path you need to walk. Pride and self-exaltation. But if we're wanting to live for the pleasure of Christ, He calls us to walk an entirely different journey. He calls us, as we'll see this morning, to put on the spiritual virtues of humility and meekness. Now these two virtues are found right in the middle of a larger list of virtues that we're going through here in Colossians chapter 3. Two we looked at last week, two more we'll look at next week. And the reason why these two virtues are found at the very heart of this list is because they're at the very heart of the Christian life. As Jonathan Edwards wrote, Pride is the worst viper that is in the heart and the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. Pride was the first sin that ever was, and the most difficult sin to root out. This is why humility and meekness are found, I think, at the very heart of this list of virtues, because they alone are the antidote to the venom of pride, and are at the very heart of Christ-like living. As Augustine, the church father, once wrote, humility is the foundation of all other virtues. For in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. Without humility, all is hypocrisy. Or as the British poet Francis Quarles wrote, true humility, the basis of the Christian system, is the low but deep and firm foundation of all virtues. So if we as the redeemed are serious about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, as we are commanded to in the book of Colossians, and if we want to show Christ as preeminent above all by how we live, then we must learn what it means to put on these two Christ-like virtues of humility and meekness. And there's a lot here, so with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 12-14, through 14, as we consider this morning two more pieces of the clothing of our new identity that we have found in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the Word of God whose words are sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouths. Let's pray. Father, we ask one thing. That You would do great things. Father, You who by the power of Your Spirit through Your Word brought us by Your grace through faith in Christ from death into life. Pray that this morning by Your Spirit through Your Word to transform us from one degree of glory into another for the honor and the glory of our King, Christ Jesus. Help us to learn this morning what true greatness looks like. Give us the heart of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Paul reminds us of our new identity that we have found in Jesus, of being chosen by God to be set apart as objects of His affection, we're then introduced to how we are to live in light of that. And we've been seeing, it, we've been seeing the clothing of our new identity at the end of verse 12 into verse 14 where Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We looked at last week, compassionate hearts and kindness. This morning we are encouraged from God's Word to put on humility. Paul's telling us here that in order, as chapter 1 verse 10 says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, we must put on the virtue of humility clothe ourselves in it so that every action, every word, every thought would be done out of a heart of humility. Now this instantly reminds me of what Paul wrote over in Ephesians 4 verse 1 when he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. How? Verse 2, with all humility. In other words, the only time that we as, a, as the redeemed walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, the only time that we as a redeemed walk in a manner worthy of our calling as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, the only time we ever do that is when we are walking in humility. Not in pride because of our new identity, but in humility. That word humility is a compound word. It's two words jammed together in the Greek. Typinos, which means low, and frame, which means understanding or mindfulness. So you jam those two together, what do you get? You get having a low mindfulness of yourself. That's humility. Having a low mindfulness of yourself. That is not the same thing as a low opinion of yourself. We often think this, right? That being humble is walking around like Eeyore all the time, right? Under a continual reign of self-hatred. Pathetic. That's who I am. Pathetic, right? 
Now it is true, we are sinners. And there is rightful shame when we sin. And I myself have literally beaten my chest and looked at myself in the mirror and said with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But if I stay under that reign of self-loathing, I am not living in the truth. Because even Paul says immediately afterwards in Romans 7.25, Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we must walk by faith and not by sight. And we must be balanced in our thinking. It is true. In ourselves, we are sinners. But in Christ, we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved and We have a treasure, though it is in jars of clay. And that is the life of Christ. And we must call that to mind, just as much as we call to mind the other. So, I say all of that to say that humility is not having a low opinion of ourselves. Humility is having a low mindfulness of ourselves. In other words, you think about others before you think about yourself. That's humility. As C.S. Lewis put it, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. As he wrote in his classic book, Mere Christianity, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a really cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. That is humility. Having a low mindfulness of yourself. It's like that old acronym JOY, right? Jesus, others, you. Right? You think of God first. Think of others second. You think of yourself last. That's humility. And it is exemplified in Christ. Philippians 2, 3-8 through says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, pridefully putting yourself and your own interests first. But rather in humility, Paul says, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what do we see from Jesus? We see a mindset of humility, of low mindfulness. Not low opinion, but low mindfulness. Though He was God in all of His fullness, and though He was fully equal with His Father, Jesus nevertheless took on the form of a servant and demonstrated perfect humility. He looked to God's interests first. He looked to our interests second. He looked to His interests third. He demonstrated low mindfulness, both for our benefit and for our example. Jesus exemplified how we ought to live. Why? Because we are His servants, right? We are His servants. He is not ours. The next three verses in Philippians tell us that Jesus is not simply the one that we see humility from. He is the one that we show humility towards. 
He's the one who is to be highly exalted. He is the one who has the name that is above every name. He is the one that we ought to bow our knees and confess that He is Lord. Not ourselves, but Christ. There's no room for exaltation of oneself among the body of Christ. That's Paul's message in Philippians. It's the exact same message he's preaching here in Colossians. It is Christ above all. Therefore, in light of who Christ is, we must reflect His glory by putting on humility, by putting on a Jesus-others-first mindset. And just like with compassion and kindness that we saw last week, putting on humility requires an act of spirit-empowered will. Because it is not easy to be humble, we have to put it on. Not because of who others are is it difficult this time, but rather because of who we are it's difficult to put on humility. Scripture tells us that we are born in sin and into foolishness. As Psalms 51 verse 5 says, we come into this world with foolishness bound up into our hearts. As Proverbs 22.15 says, and Proverbs 30 verse 32 tells us that part of that depravity and that part of that foolishness is exalting yourself. So it tells us that when we act according to our natural inclination, we will always act out of pride. If you're not sure whether you're acting out of humility or pride, chances are it's pride. You tend in that direction by your fallen nature. We will act out of pride, not of humility or a servant's mindset. If left to ourselves, you could put it this way, our egos will run free and we'll always think of ourselves first and put ourselves first and exalt ourselves first above other people and even above Christ. When we come into a situation... When we come into a relationship, when we come into a meeting, we're thinking, how can I make them take my position? How can I lift my interests above theirs? We can exalt ourselves above other people and even above Christ. In fact, that word frame, it's an interesting word. The second half of our word humility means more than just mindfulness or mindset. It means a controlled mindfulness, a controlled mindset. In other words, humility is like a mindfulness that is reined in. It is a mindfulness that is curbed like a horse on a bit. If left to ourselves, our egos will run free. We are called by the Spirit to take hold of our egos and rein them in. We are called to make sure that we lower our mindfulness and rein it in by the Holy Spirit's power. Put ourselves in proper priority, which is last. Not non-existent, but last. So I, as a worshiper of Christ, need to constantly rein in my pride and purposely put on a low mindfulness, a constant mindset that always asks this. First, what does God require? And then second, what do others desire? And only after I've asked those first, answered those first two questions can I then go and ask, what do I want out of this situation? So I want you to consider this morning, even before I get to application, because I'm holding off here. Areas of conflict that you're having in your life right now, where you're just like, man, I am not getting along with this person. I want you to write down those two questions. First, what does God require from me? Not from them, from me in this situation. And then second, what do they desire? Maybe you've never even gotten yourself to ask that second question. (laughs) It's a worthwhile one to ask. Only after considering those two questions should I ever consider myself and what I 
of what I want. We must put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Scripture says humility. So how do we do that? How do we put to death pride and begin to develop a mindset of humility? There are many things that one could say, but here are two practical ways to develop a mindset of humility that have been the most helpful for me. Obviously not totally successful yet, but helpful. (laughs) First, first, remember God's grace in you. If you want to develop and put on humility, remember God's grace in you. In you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, these verses ought to already be underlined in your Bible. If they're not, do it now. Paul writes this None of you should be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, one of the surest ways to defeat pride and develop inward humility is to remember God's grace in your life. What do you have that you did not receive, believer, this morning? Whether it be your health, your home, your possessions, your gifts, your talents. What did you have that you did not receive? Answer, nothing. Everything you have. And everything you are, it all comes from God. As 1 Corinthians 15.10 says later, By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's all a gift of God's grace. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You see, you have no cause for self-boasting. You're not a self-made man or woman in Christ. You're a grace-made man or woman. So boast in God. Nothing fights pride like remembering that you are who you are solely by the grace of God. As John Stott, the English theologian, once wrote, all of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there, at the foot of the cross, that we shrink to our true size. And as Charles Hodge once wrote, Christian humility does not consist in denying that there is now some good in us, but rather it consists in an abiding sense of ill-deservedness and in the consciousness that what we have of good is due solely to the grace of God. So to fight pride and grow in humility, remember God's grace in you. Second, I would encourage you to discover God's grace in others. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Jane Austen's story, Pride and Prejudice. I grew up with a sister, so I was inundated with Jane Austen. But in that book, one of the main characters, Mr. Darcy, is described as a man who, quote, never looks at any woman but to see a blemish, unquote. And that's immensely insightful, I think, from Jane Austen. One of the primary ways that pride, he was the exemplary pride in Pride and Prejudice, right? One of the primary ways pride is maintained and cultivated in the human heart is through a regular practice of looking for faults in the lives of others, right? As 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, by measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves by themselves. In other words, we foster and we grow pride in our lives by looking for and focusing on faults in others. Because if we can find faults in others, then we can put them down and make ourselves feel really good about ourselves. Exalt ourselves. Well, one of the ways that we can cut that arrogance off at the root is not by looking for faults in others, but rather by becoming trained at looking for God's grace in others. We see this with Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but when you study the book of the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians especially, that church was becoming overrun with terrible things. Doctrinal error, prideful division, sexual immorality, legal revenge, obstinate rebellion. I mean, it's one of the worst church situations you could imagine. And yet Paul opens up the entire letter of 1 Corinthians with this in 1 Corinthians 1.4. I give thanks to my God always for you. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And then he starts to provide evidence of that grace, their biblical knowledge, their spiritual gifts, their faith in Christ, etc. So Paul, in his humility, was not dominated by seeing the faults in the lives of the Corinthians. He could spy out God's grace at work, and he encouraged them in that because of his humility. Rather than looking for faults by which to put others down, we should be looking for grace by which to build others up. Guaranteed, the person that has most encouraged you in your life and in your walk with Christ has probably been the most humble person you've ever met as well. Though you might not have thought that's a humble person. They were looking for grace and they encouraged you in it. We as humans are natural experts at seeing people's faults, but we have no clue how to spy out God's grace. So you know what we can do about that? Let's become intimately acquainted with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. Let's reign in our mindfulness to start looking for those qualities in the people around us and encourage them with the wonderful fact that God is at work in them. Do you have more critical things to say about the believers around you? Or do you have more encouraging things to say? Do you have a heart of pride or a heart of humility? Along with the fruit of the Spirit, become acquainted with the gifts of the Spirit, like in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 and elsewhere. Observe and point out to others where you can see that God has uniquely gifted them to teach, to lead, and to serve. Spy out God's fruit and gifts in the life of your spouse, in the life of your kids, in the life of your church members. Because we as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we need to put on a low mindfulness, a servant's mindset. We need to put on humility. And you can start that by remembering God's grace in you and discovering God's grace in others. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, humility. And how do you know if you put on humility? Well, just like last week with compassion leading to kindness, you know that you have developed a mindfulness of humility when you start acting towards others in a spirit of meekness. Meekness. That's preotes in the Greek. It means the outward uh, working of inward humility. Again, Ephesians 4, verse 2, which I referred to earlier. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. How? With all humility and preotes. With all humility and meekness. Now this word is often translated into the English as gentleness. You'll see it that way in the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.23 and elsewhere. And while there is definitely a huge element of gentleness that's found in the word meekness, they really are two different words. You see that reflected in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, where Paul says this, I, Paul, myself, entreat you how? With the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So they're distinct, though they're similar. So what is meekness? As I've already said, it's the outworking of humility, but the best full definition I can give after working through all the word usage would be this. To be meek means to possess a settled and soothing strength of character. 
That's meekness. To possess a settled and soothing strength of character. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It is strength that produces a settledness and a calm soothing to people and situations around you. That is meekness. Meekness, if you want to picture it this way, is like a powerful medicine that calms the symptoms of a fever. Or like a powerfully skillful man that tames a wild beast rather than kills it. And meekness, the outworking of humility, is the outworking of humility because pride does the exact opposite. When you have pride in your heart, you do not produce settledness or peace around you. Proverbs 28 verse 25 says, An arrogant man stirs up strife. But meekness, arising out of a heart of humility, out of a servant's mindset, a heart that boldly seeks to put God and others first, meekness calms a dispute rather than stirs it up. Titus 3 verse 2 says, We ought to speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. How? By being gentle and showing, here's our word, perfect courtesy, meekness towards all people. I just want to sit on that for a second. See, I think I'm doing pretty good with humility. <laughs> That's why meekness is here, right? Do you show perfect courtesy to all people? We have to put this type of meekness on. We must develop a settled strength of character, a settled strength of character that doesn't disrupt, but rather dispenses a powerfully soothing disposition upon those around us. When we talk about our spouse with other people, when we talk about our kids with other people, this is a good one, if we talk about our government officials with other people, are we producing a settledness to that situation or a stirring up of strife and discontentment do we have hearts of humility do we have spirits of meekness we have to we have to we must develop a strength of character a settled strength of character that doesn't disrupt but dispenses that soothing disposition on those around us so think about that for a moment we ought to develop such a heart of humility that our presence in any given situation think about this produces a powerfully soothing effect where people breathe a sigh of relief when you enter the room not hold their breath out of fear about what's about to happen This is who we ought to be as Christians because even when we disagree, we ought to always be marked by meekness, by a gentleness and a perfect courtesy towards all. This is what it means to exalt Christ above all, right? So many of us, and I am prone to this myself, right? Say, here's the truth, right? And now I'm going to be perfectly discourteous towards you with the truth to show you that Christ is above all. Then you've undermined your own mission. You ought to present the truth always in love. In love. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, humility and meekness. Now if you want to take a practical first step towards this, here's your homework. Here's a suggestion for you. How do we put on, begin to put on humility and meekness in our lives for the glory of Christ so that we wouldn't walk around like the heathen walk in pride 
stirring up strife? How do we walk in humility and meekness and be the light of Christ? Here's a suggestion. First, write down the names of those people that you struggle to show meekness towards. Write down the names of those people that you struggle to show gentleness of speech and perfect courtesy towards, if that's helpful. Whether it be your spouse, children, parents, siblings, church members, neighbors, or governing officials. Write down the names of the people that you often find yourself tempted to speak harshly about or behave rude, sarcastic, or unloving towards children, towards your parents. Parents, about your kids. Spouses, to your friends. These are the people that you do not yet have a heart of humility towards, but rather a heart of pride. Then, what I want you to do is write down the gifts and talents and grace that God has given those people. So after you write down the people that you are most often tempted to speak harshly about or behave rude, sarcastic, and unloving towards, after you write down those people's names, I want you to write down the various ways that God has given them gifts, talents, and grace. I want you to spy out the gifts and fruits of the Spirit that they possess if they're believers. And if they're not believers, then I want you to still spy out the talents and skills that God has given them by His common grace as unbelievers. And then, each day in prayer this week, Thank God for how He has gifted that person by His grace. If you pray in that way towards those people that you do not have a heart of humility or meekness to, you will see your life and your relationship transform. This is a practical way to discover God's grace in others and develop a heart of humility and meekness. The Scripture says, Let this mind be in you which is yours. In Christ Jesus. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, humility and meekness. And our Savior, who out of His own humility and meekness gave to us His grace, will give us His grace this week to apply these very things to our lives. To put on and shine forth His own humility and His own meekness for all those around us to see the glory of Him who is above all. We'll have to finish the last grouping of spiritual clothing next week, but for now... This is the Word of God from Colossians 3, verse 12, which I now commit to your further study. And your faithful obedience until He comes. With that in mind, as the men come forward for communion, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the example of Christ. An example which benefits we will be celebrating and remembering this morning. We thank You, Father, that when we were walking in pride, when we were walking in arrogance, blaspheming You and slandering one another, You came to us. 
And you, out of a heart of humility, showed us unimaginable meekness. Thank You that Your Son came to earth, that He took on the form of a servant and was obedient even to the point of death, considering all the while that I have not, that as even as He prayed, that He had not come to do His own will, but Yours. Father, help us to have that same heart of humility as we live in a world that prizes and exalts pride and self-exaltation. Help us to be a church that is countercultural. Help us to be a church that remembers God's grace in ourselves and that are experts at spying out Your grace in one another. Help us not to exalt ourselves, but help us to put Christ above all and one another in second place with ourselves as servants. Father, we just pray that You would, by Your grace, help us to do that. Help us to remember the blessings that we have through Christ's humility and meekness this morning through communion. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.